Hi folks, it's Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, January the 8th, 2012, and this is episode 1052 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, I've got a, a mini two-parter for you today. The first part of the show is going to be some follow-up from yesterday. I seldom get things wrong. I, I really do when it comes to stuff I put out on the air. But when I do, I always try to fix it and make it right. I made some comments yesterday, not really negative comments, but comments about community college not preparing you for a four-year university. And someone that's been to neither, it seems that I've been misinformed by those who have. And I got a tremendous amount of positive feedback. Nobody really upset with what I said, but I think my comments were inaccurate, and I want to fix that today. I also want to do a little bit of follow-up on the gun legislation that I talked about yesterday. Um, it's now H.R. 21, which doesn't really matter. People say, well, that bill's dead. It's a new it, it, You know, the bill I covered yesterday, it wasn't even really about that bill in particular. It was about the type of thing that will be presented to us as common sense legislation. And there's something very, very critical in that bill that I've left out yesterday that I meant to talk about. And with trying to do the videos and everything to go with it, I just let it slip. I'm going to tell you what that is today. And when you first hear it, many of you are going to go, well, that sounds completely reasonable until I explain to you what it actually would mean and what it actually could cause to happen. Then we're going to talk about the need for skill set, develop, skill cell, skill set development in a changing world. Uh, we made an update to 13 skills today. I'll tell you about it in a second. And I realized I have never really gone into the why behind the need to, re, you know, to revive America's skill sets. And I'm going to do that today. That's going to be the main part of today's show. The intro segment or the, the mini segment in the front is probably going to be less than 10 minutes. I will do a video of the part on gun control, though. That will round out the videos on the gun control debate. And I'll start putting new topics on YouTube, the mini segments out of the show. It seems that the best shows to do this with are the Monday feedback shows and the Friday call-in shows. It just seems to work out that way. If there's anything in particular you'd like to see me speak about on the air that then gets translated to a YouTube video, let me know in the comments of today's uh, episode notes at thesurvivalpodcast.com, and I can't promise to do everything everybody asked, but I'll give it a shot. All right, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors before we get into today's topics. Sponsor of the day number one today, Fortress Defense Consultants. I'm going to talk about developing your skills today. And I think one of the most popular skill sets on 13skills.com is the various firearm skill sets. There's a reason for that. And there's more reason than ever to become proficient with your firearms today than there was just even a few months ago before all this hubbub about new gun control started. If they restrict our firearms, we're going to need to be better with what we're left with. If they don't, we're going to need to be responsible and effective with what we still have right now. And that's a great reason to improve your skill set. The better you are trained as a student will also make you a better teacher. And I've challenged all of you to take non-shooters to the range with you and shoot with them, teach them to shoot safely, show them there's nothing to be afraid of, and get them engaged in shooting sports. That That's the best way we can defend our Second Amendment right now. Now, the best place I can tell you right now to go get that type of training is Fortress Defense Consultants with Frank Sharp, Jr. Check out Frank, uh, Frank's website again, Fortress Defense Consultants, fortressdefense.com. 
Next up today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. What are you going to get from the Berkey Guy? Shocking as it may seem to be, you're going to get Berkey water filtration systems and other great items for your prepping needs. Jeff is the Berkey Guy, so why would you go anywhere else? Um, he's been taking care of this audience for about four years now. I've had very few complaints, and generally when I have a complaint, it's something the mail people did wrong, and the person hasn't actually contacted Jeff to fix it for them yet. If you do that, I guarantee you that anything you need fixed, anything that goes wrong, because things do go wrong, because, well, humans mess things up, Jeff's going to fix it for you, Jeff's going to take care of you, and that's why you should go to the Berkey guy versus some random non-Berkey guy at a gun show when you buy your Berkey water filter. It's somebody you know you can trust, you know will always help you out, you know will help you through any customer service issues, and it's completely dedicated to supporting the audience of the Survival Podcast. Uh, next up, I want to remind you guys about um, TSP Gear Shop. Man, get on over there. Get some of the Sentinel shirts or the Sentinel hats, man. They rock. Um, I've got a 100 Sentinel patches on the way. Check those out. Those are awesome. I will be bringing some with me to the Free State Project, and if I see you there, I might give you one. But don't let that pro you know, prohibit you from buying one now. Uh, TSPCopper.com, if you go there, you'll see the announcements pending. Uh, big things are coming soon with a new site with more offerings on the precious metal stuff from us, so that's going to be a while in the works, but not too long. It's probably less than a month before you'll see a really big announcement there. Um, and on the Free State Project, that reminds me, you're running out of time. There's only five days left to enter the contest to win VIP perk tickets uh, to the Free State Project or just win your, your basic ticket, depending on which prize you win. The way you play is you donate $10 to any charity of your choice. Uh, you then uh, email the Free State Project with some details. I'll put a link in today's show notes of how the details of that contest. But I wanted to share something with you. And even, I know that the, the, the numbers of people entering may be low because most people aren't going to enter a contest to win a ticket unless they can actually go to New Hampshire for the Free State Project's Liberty Forum. We've only had about 18 people enter the contest so far. So if you haven't, do it because you have a really good chance of winning. This was something that the Free State people shared with me, though. They added up all the receipts that were sent to them. Now, they asked people to donate a $10 donation. So if everybody did the minimum and 18 people did it, you know, we could still do math in America by 10, most of us, and uh, we'd come up with $180. But this community and this group of 18 people that wanted to take a shot at winning this and wanted to help out a charity didn't donate $180. Collectively, they donated over $1,100. And that says something about this community and our willingness to help others, does it not? All right, um, and I just wanted to share that with you. Now, uh, let me get into um, a little bit about what I said yesterday with community colleges. There were a lot of great comments. I got some emails, too. I'm just going to read a little bit of a few different comments so that you can get a completely different perspective from people who have taken the community college route. What I basically said is, you know, consider community college for this young man who didn't really want to go away, didn't want to spend too much money, but if he really wanted to pursue an engineering degree that I had been told by others who went to the community college first that it did not adequately prepare them uh, for the, the level of work at a university. And... I hear now a totally opposite thing from a lot of people that, frankly, I trust more than the random context I've had throughout my life. So here's one. This is kind of going into the middle of by Notorious APP. 
for the guy that was having trouble deciding whether or not to go to college for a four-year program. Seriously consider Jack's comments about community college. I have an engineering degree for which the first two years I went to my local community college. This ended up being one of the best decisions I made for my higher education and indirectly my future career. I found the caliber of student that transferred from my community college into local four university, think 30K year school known for engineering and science, to be much better than the students that start as a freshman in a four-year school. I would spend a lot of time with these students reviewing fundamental math and physics, which they should have learned either in high school or freshman year in college. Remember that four-year universities spend a lot of time on research. For your lower-level courses will at many times be taught by teachers' assistants and grad students. They couldn't give a shit about you. Most of them are doing it because they have to, not because teaching is their passion. At my community college, I always had access to my professors, and they taught me taught all the classes themselves, always. So that's one. I want to read another one by Rex, and this has got some really great advice in it. Uh, regarding a degree in engineering, I got a bachelor's in engineering from Texas A&M over 20 years ago, and now my plan son plans on doing the same. I just checked, and the degree plan looks the same as it did 20 years ago. Interesting. I did go to junior community college for two years before entering a four-year degree. The degree I took required 132 hours, with some courses having pre-regs. So it really came. So it really is more of you must have done the coursework in high school. Number one, what I did wrong. I took classes that A, did not transfer, and B, did not apply to the degree plan. I ended up with 186 hours of classes, six years. Make sure you don't waste time taking courses that don't apply to the degree you want. Two, what I did right. I took my hard coursework in junior college and only the hours, and, and, and only the hours transferred, not the grade. Take the weed-out courses in junior community college. Make sure they transfer and apply to your degree. Freshman math and science classes are good choices to take as well. Science lab fees are a lot cheaper in junior college. My suggestion for my son is to go to Blend Junior for one year for 30 hours before Texas A&M. Prove yourself there, apply to A&M or your university of choice, I would imagine. Then take a semester off and work before starting the remaining three years. Really three and a half years with a max of 15 hours a semester. Don't kill yourself, Rex. I think there's some incredible advice there. And, you know, it, it makes me happier. It makes me a lot happier to recommend community college to young people who are on the college path. I have come across with some of you guys as being completely anti-college. I keep saying it. I don't understand why you don't understand what I'm saying. And, and most of you that are upset with me are college graduates. You would think a college graduate would understand the difference between nobody should go to college, everybody should go to college, and only some people should go to college. The, the preponderance of bullshit in the society today is everybody should go. And no, not everybody should go. That's a lie. There is a place for other types of skills, experience, and expertise. And there are people that frankly do not belong in a college classroom. I'm intelligent enough for college. I did not belong there. I would have been in everybody's way. I've done well for myself by taking my own course. That may be your kid. Please keep that in mind and don't force your children To, 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 to live like they're still your children when they're actually your young adult uh, uh, offspring. When their kids are 18, 19 years old and they're making these decisions at that point, they're the ones that have to pay the debt off. So understand that, parents. And I think that if you can knock out a year or two in community college, 
and take specifically, like Rex said, only the courses. You know, only, some people will go ahead and get a full, you know, two-year degree and then transfer. But if that's not going to work for you, if you can only maybe get a year or a year and a half of, of coursework done, that all will transfer, do that and then transfer. You can save tens of thousands of dollars, which will actually save you multiples of that because you're not going to pay interest on it, and you're not going to have your student loan along around so long, you should call it a pet. I mean, really, some of you folks have had your student loans around so long, you might as well name him. You know, instead of calling Fannie Mae or Sally Mae or whoever the hell it is, call it Tom or Bob or something like that. You know, get it a bowl and put the bowl in the front of your house and feed it money instead of kibbles. I mean, that's how long, you know. In fact, I would tell you that some people have student loan debt that largely outlives the average dog. That's probably not a good thing. All right, next thing I want to talk about. I want to talk about the, the so-called common sense gun legislation that I brought up yesterday and a provision that's in it that I find very, very dangerous. All right, guys, so I'm actually going to put this little segment on a follow-up on the firearms legislation from yesterday on YouTube with video as well as putting it on the air today. So hi, YouTube, and remember, you can get the entire episode, and most of today's episode is not YouTube. You guys on YouTube, it's not about firearms. It's about skill set development in general. Um, so I'd love to have you come by and look up episode 1052 of the Survival Podcast and uh, hear what else we have to say about things that are not gun-related. And this will probably be the last big thing I do on gun rights for a while because our show is widely topical. We go into everything from gardening to guns to uh, food storage to beekeeping, you name it. Anything that's self-sufficiency, self-reliance, independence, and liberty-related. But, I, you know, right now this is a hot issue, and we have a lot of fire coming in trying to convince us that we need to do something. I mean, that's the big thing. We have to do something. And usually when people say we have to do something, they really don't know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, and young you end up with something that you really don't want. In the bill I mentioned yesterday, which was 6725, a lot of people pointed out, that bill's gone. Yes, but it's back. It's not changed by one period or comma. It's now H.R. 21. It was introduced into Congress on the last day of the session of the old Congress so that it was easy to reintroduce in the new session. And again, if you focus on just this bill, you're missing my point. I am not saying this is a the bill to fight. I'm saying this is a bill of an example of many bills that will be thrown all around and mashed together that we're going to have to eventually fight. And there's something in this that I did not mention yesterday. That's why I'm doing this follow-up. I meant to doing the videos in conjunction with the shows new for me, so I kind of got discombobulated and forgot it and left it out. That is a provision on terrorism. I want to read to you a provision in the bill. The Attorney General may deny a license application if the Attorney General determines that the applicant, including the responsible person, is known or appropriately suspected to be or have been engaged in conduct constituating in preparation for, in aid of, or related to terrorism, or providing material support thereof, and the Attorney General has reasonable belief the applicant may use the firearm in conjunction with terrorism. This sounds perfectly reasonable to the average person who's never actually, you know, paid attention to the fact that we've had people put on the terror watch, and that's basically what that means. They can explain it any way they want, but this means if you're on the terror watch list, you can't buy a gun. I know that many people would go, well, duh, we shouldn't let a terrorist buy a gun. 
But being on the terrorist watch list doesn't mean you're a terrorist. That just means that somebody put your name on the list, and the attorney general may not be the one that directly does it. You know, people like the attorney general of the United States have a lot of things done by their surrogates, and it can empower many surrogates, committees of surrogates, to compile things like terror watch lists, which can result in people getting put on the list because somebody with their name belongs on the list, but they got the wrong one. Because somebody posted something somewhere on Facebook that somebody didn't like and somebody told somebody and next thing you know this guy's on the terrorist watch list because somebody that's a bureaucrat somewhere decided, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. This is the problem with the terror watch list. And this bill does not have provisions for the no-fly list in it, but it, I guarantee you that if this happens to be the bill they take forward, riders with that will go on there. Um, and if they do a different bill, it will get introduced as an amendment or part of a new bill. Those are two things that every time the president speaks and every time the gun grabbers speak, we have to at least do certain things and they get put in there. They sound completely reasonable. Here's the problem. We've had people put on that list and you look at their life and they've never done anything wrong in their life. They don't have a speeding ticket. Could they be legitimately suspected? Yes. I'll admit that they could be, but here's, here's where my problem is, and this is not just about gun control. This is about the no-fly list in general. The terror watch list and the no-fly list need to be looked at as a single issue because they're handled the same way. Someone in the attorney general's office decides that a person goes on the list. That person has no recourse. That person can't say, why am I on the list? They'll say, we can't tell you for national security. You can't tell me. Why you put me on a list that inhibits my right to fly, and if they get their way with this, my right to buy a gun, you can't tell me why, but you can inhibit my ability to travel. Yes. What do I do to get off the list? You don't. This, that's, that's freaking Nazi Germany, folks. That's Russia. That's, you know, Russia during the USSR, right? That's going on right now. With the no-fly list, we've had people like the gentleman that got stranded in Hawaii that was flying to Japan to see his wife who's serving as an officer in the United States Navy that was told he couldn't go. And as far as he's concerned, he was put on that list because he's known as a prepper. Now, is he full of crap? Could he actually have something that fits this definition? He might. But we don't know that, do we? Does he have any recourse? No. Does the government has to have to justify in any way? Do they have to be accountable in any way for putting people on this list? No. Is there anything he can do ever to get off this list? No. You're talking about, you know, you remember back in school they said on your permanent record? You're talking about an actual real blot on your permanent record that actually inhibits you from doing things like getting on a freaking airplane. And then you get the President of the United States of America standing up and telling people, if we won't let you fly on a plane, we shouldn't let you buy on a, uh, fly on a, buy a gun. And the average American dolt is going, oh, oh, that makes sense. Pull your head out of your ass, America. Right? It should be absolutely not possible for your government to do this without at least a formal method of recourse by the individual. We can't put people in jail without a trial. 
And this is what's totally ass backwards about your terror watch list and, you know, putting somebody on it, not letting them get on a plane. You'd think if they actually suspected somebody of that, that they would want them to get on a plane. They'd want to shadow them. They'd want to have, without the person's knowledge, an air marshal, you know, at the last minute say, uh, we're sorry, sir, you've been moved to a center seat. There's nothing we can do. And have an air marshal flanking them on both sides that look like two business passengers. If that was actually the purpose, they might want to figure out what the heck's going on with this guy and track him down and stop him from doing whatever the hell he's doing. You don't tell him we know what you're doing and you can't fly. That doesn't make any sense to me. doesn't make any sense to me at all. But to be able to restrict an American simply by placing them on a list, that's completely, in my opinion, unconstitutional. And we've already lost the battle. We have to go on the offensive to correct this in the world of flying on a freaking airplane. And we really need to do something about it. But we need to hold the line here. This has no place in our gun regulations because this is what can happen. Anytime that anybody in the government decides that somebody doesn't need to have a gun, they'll just put them on the list. What's to stop some future administration, something more onerous than we have now, from just saying, well, if you've ever been a member of the National Rifle Association, we think you're a terrorist. Don't think it hasn't already been floated by people like the Southern Poverty Law Center, because it has. This is something that every American needs to understand. Even if you don't give a damn about the gun control debate, I encourage you to share the fact with your friends that our government can now put you on a list that prevent you from flying with no accountability and no recourse whatsoever. That's not America, my friends. It's time we start fighting and taking it back. Okay, so with that, we can get into the uh, the main topic today of today's show, which is skill development and what it is and why we need it, and and you know, really trying to understand more. I, I want you guys to understand more why this is so important to me, why I think it needs to be important to you, and I want to start out with something that on the surface may not seem like really where you would start with the concept of learning hardcore skills again anything from firearms to mechanical skills to construction skills and things like that blue collar skills that we've lost and that is what a faltering economy or a full on economics collapse economic collapse means in regard to skill sets it's it's no secret around here that i really believe that our nations in trouble I described the the, uh, the economy yesterday this way, and I think this is something maybe you guys need to start saying to your friends. It might just wake them the hell up. And that is the, the, the economy's on life support, and the life support systems are running on backup power. It's like the patient is in, the, you know, like, not the coma patient that's never coming back. The, the, the critical care patient that's in intensive care that's going to recover, and it's going to survive. You know, they can anyway. But then you look and they have all these tubes and wires and stuff going into them, keeping them alive. And you ask the doctor, you say, man, that guy looks bad. And he goes, yeah, he's bad. But And if we shut that off, he's dead. But I, I think we can bring him back. His prognosis is actually pretty good. It's going to be a long, painful recovery, but I've got a big problem. You say, well, doc, what's your problem? And he says, uh, well, uh, if you look out the windows, you'll notice that there's no power in the city. And we have backup power running, and I don't know how long we can keep it running, but if the backup systems fail before we're able to get the grid power back up, this guy's dead. That is the most accurate description of your economy that I can give you right now, except that my prognosis, no matter what we do, is probably worse than the doctor's for his patient. 
Um, we've got such an economic catastrophe underneath our feet right now with $16 trillion of debt. And I promise you, all of you people that bought into the fact that Obama's going to get serious and cut spending now, you know, now we're going to, we, we had to revive all that crap and it wouldn't matter if it was a Mitt Romney. You're going to look at $20 trillion in debt by 2016 and it probably will be more. It probably will be more. That's our best estimate right now, and it's going to be worse. Um, yesterday I told you that in 11 states, 11 of 50 states, right? So we're in the neighborhood of 20% of the nation, 20% of the nation. The number of people on entitlement programs, the number of people on government assistance, food stamps, welfare, all of it put together, the total number of those people is greater than the total number of people with jobs in the private sector. That means that there's 1.4 to 1.5 to 2.0 takers for every maker in our economy in 11 states right now. And that did not include the number of people with government jobs. I'm not putting you down if you have a government job. I'm just stating the obvious that most people in government don't seem to understand. Your, draw, your job is 100% dependent on one of two things. The ability of your government, whether you're working a state, a local, or a federal job, to borrow money and to tax money. When they tax the, the income of you as a government employee, it's a recycling fishbowl of nonsense. It really is. We would be better off not having any of our government people pay taxes. Everybody just went, <gasps> but we should adjust their pay down. We should just not, we should just not pay them the money they're going to pay. It would be more efficient. It would be far more efficient. They could pay taxes on capital gains and everything else like we all do. But on their income, they should just ratchet their income down so that they don't owe any taxes because it's just a nonsensical cycle of putting them through a system so that somebody else in government over at the IRS can have a job. If you really think about what I'm saying and you don't get all mad because they should pay their taxes, not what I'm saying. Let's say the guy makes a hundred grand working for Uncle Sam. And let's say in the end, after all the deductions and everything, he pays about twenty thousand dollars in uh, in federal income tax. I'm just saying, pay him eighty grand. That, that's all I'm saying, right? I prefer that he go out and get a real job. But if we're going to pay him, why do we have him burdening the system to put money back in that already came right? Because the the fact of the matter is, there's nothing that government does that actually produces an end product that people are willing to pay for. The government produces whatever it feels like with money it takes. So a government employee is 100% dependent on money that's borrowed or taxed, and so is a government dependent. So that means that everybody else has to fit the bill. And we're now at a 2 to 1 or greater disadvantage in at least 11 states, and that number's growing. That means the economy can't continue. Okay, That'll, with, If you took everything else away, Everything else away. The economy can't continue that way. And there's a thousand other reasons that I won't go into today because this is not an economic show. But we just have to accept the fact that this economy is going to come careening down at some point and it's going to have to be completely rebuilt. Instead of the patient being on life support, the backup system lasting, and the patient being revived, it's going to be up to all of us to know the patient's dead and like Frankenstein, build a new economy completely from scratch. That's where the skill issue comes in. The more of what you take for granted in an economy goes away, the more value there is 
to what anybody can actually produce. See, we've been on the exact opposite course. We've been living on so much borrowed money. 47, 48 cents or something like that of every dollar we spend is borrowed. That means we're borrowing out 30, 40 years into the future to pay for today. You know, it's bad enough when you're using MasterCard to do it five years out. Our country's doing it 30 years out, 40 years out. And that's enabled this false sense of prosperity. And as we continue to do this, we have enabled people to purchase things dirt cheap and purchase things that are very expensive for a very low monthly payment through financing. And as we've done that, we have continuously devalued the American worker. We've devalued the American farmer. You don't need a farmer anymore. You just need a great big field and a bunch of automated machinery and a businessman to run it. We don't need real farmers anymore for our staple crops. That's the system we've built. But it's all built on this phony money scenario. When that goes away, and all of the things that you worry about happening start to happen, like you go to the store and it's not that the shelves are bare, but half of the stuff that used to be there ain't no more. When you need something fixed and you can't just buy a new one, you actually have to get it fixed. In all of those scenarios, the value that today is scoffed at in the handyman that can fix anything, the cabinet maker that actually has carpentry skills and could do other things, the person that knows how to gather food from the wild, the person that knows how to produce more food on an acre than today's conventional farmer is actually producing on five. And anything like that, the value immediately rebounds exponentially upward. And that's the reason to have these skills. Because this confrontation of economic reality with economic fantasy is going to occur. And if you're going to have value in this new reality, you have to know how to do stuff. You have to know how to make stuff. You have to know how to be productive. We have millions of Americans... With high incomes, I'm talking six-figure and up earners, whose jobs really aren't important. Many of them work in government, but there's a ton of them in the private sector too, right? If your job is marketing analysis for a Fortune 500 firm, and you live in a spreadsheet every day, and you extract data so that your company can figure out who to email, or who to snail mail, or what um, coupon to offer in the next paper, or whatever, your job's not necessary, I'm not saying you're not productive. I'm not saying you don't earn your keep. Society, though, does not need you. And I say this as a person with a heavy marketing and sales background. right? And there's a difference between hard sales skills, hard marketing skills, and that upper echelon analysis crap. The reality is those people are not trying to get people to understand the value of something. They're competing for an existing market share that'll buy whatever they get from whoever they can get it from, and you're trying to make them choose A versus B. That's all you're trying to do. You're not necessary. And I'm not, I'm picking that one out to pick on a little bit because I'm from that world, so you should be less offended by it if it applies to you. But there are thousands of people in thousands and millions, actually millions of people in thousands of jobs that fit that description. If you stop doing your job tomorrow, and everybody like you stop doing your job tomorrow, and the world would not stop, and you don't know how to do anything else, you've got a problem. you got a problem. Does that mean there's no place for technology skills and stuff like that? I, I Absolutely not. I think the Internet's not going away. 
the electrical grid's not going away. It may falter, it may fall, it may have to be put back together, but we're going to have technology going forward. But you better know how to do other stuff too. And that's where I want to get into why we need to get on and emphasize what I call hard skills more than soft skills. And on some levels anyway, not across the board. I think everybody should have a balance of hard and soft skills. But the reality is there's millions of people out there with all the soft skills. There's an abundance of soft skills in America. We've become a softer people. We've become a softer people. There's plenty of people that can explain 18th century French literature more than we need to do it. If you want to do that, fine. But you better learn how to start a freaking fire too. Learn something from your 18th French century French literature. They didn't have gasoline cars and climate control back then. Pay attention to the literature and ask yourself, as you pursue this soft skill of a knowledge of a particular thing, how does that apply to you if everything for you take for granted isn't there anymore? We have taught our children that it's bad to get dirt under their fingernails. We have told our children that every student should go to college. Everybody, you don't want to be... Don't, parents, you know you do it. You know you do it. You come home from busting your ass if you have a blue-collar job, and you tell Johnny you don't want to be like your old man. Maybe he does. And maybe there's a hell of a lot he can learn from you. And maybe you should be teach. even if you want him to go to college, even if he's right for it, even if he's going to go, even if he's excited about it, maybe you need to value yourself as a man and pass on what you know to that kid instead of telling him he doesn't want to be like you because he's going to need to be like you. And if your father didn't do that for you, your mother didn't do that for you, you didn't have that in your life, you didn't have that upbringing because they did what parents today are doing already back then. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't have it, then damn it, be a man, be a woman, stand up for your family, stand up for your children, go out and claim it and get it because it's just knowledge and anybody can do it. And love them and care about them enough if you have children to pass on skills and teach them how to do things because they're going to freaking need it. They're really going to need it. And they're going to need it a hell of a lot more than they need a college loan. This world is changing. It's changing faster than it's ever changed in history. And it's going in two directions at the same time and it's why it's confusing the shit out of everybody. Because technology is racing forward and ahead while our ability as individuals to do anything for ourselves is continuously in decline. And this is how we've lost our skills as modern Americans. If you came to this country in 1950, the average man had a knowledge and a skill set that would blow away most people today. Those of you like me that are in your 40s and maybe early 50s or late 30s, I want you to think back to your men, the men of your grandfather's generation and what they knew how to do. If you ever had the opportunity to sit around and listen to them tell stories about when things broke down or went wrong and how they got out of a mess, what they knew how to do. If you grew up in the Northeast and you had immigrant grandparents like I did, there were probably six layers of paneling on a wall in your house. Because whenever they got tired of the old paneling, they just put another layer up. You know, Was it the best thing in the world? No. Did it enhance resale value a great deal? No. But it worked and it kept the family warm. And eventually maybe they figured out how to pull that down and make it look a little bit better. But they did what needed to be done. Along the way, as this influx of fake money grew and grew 
and grew, and more and more people could be paid to be useless. More and more people were paid to be useless. And a guy that was working his ass off in a mill or at a factory or as a carpenter, as a construction worker, had these little kids that he loved. And his wife, maybe by now, had to go out as women entered the workplace and take a job and worked hard. And even if she had a college degree, nobody gave a shit in the 50s that she had a college degree in a lot of ways. And she ended up in a factory running a loom or in a, like my grandmother making cups. Yeah, making plastic cups on a press. And you look at these little children you love and you think, I want more for them. That's great. But then you start looking around at the people that are doing really well. And most of them are useless. They really don't do much of value. If they have the typical desk writer job. But you say to yourself, hey, you know what? If my kids go get the right education, they can have that lifestyle too. And two generations later, two generations later, We've gone from one of the most self-sufficient, self-reliant nations that's ever existed in the history of mankind. Because in the 50s, men knew how to do the basic things, but they were abreast and following the new developments. And technology had come a long way between just 1900 and 1950. The guy that was 50 years old in 1950 had seen tremendous advancement and tremendous change, but yet he knew how to do things. Here we sit. 63 years later, less than one human lifetime, we've been stripped of that knowledge and that spirit. And I, for one, I'm not taking it lightly. That's why I started 13skills.com. That's why I want people to get over there and take the challenge. That's why I want you to stretch yourself. That's why I don't want you to get in there and list nine things you've already done and check them off complete and go, look what I did. Come on. Man up. You know what? On that note, we're going to add a thing, a place on that site, for you to list things you already know how to do that you want to help people with. But if you don't have 13 things that are going to stretch you this year and you're already marking them off complete, you're cheating. You can put more than 13 in. You want to tell people what you've already done, fine. You put down five you've already done, add five more to the bottom. Challenge yourself. Go further. Do something you've never done before. Stretch. Because I'm going to tell you something that most of you that have done this even a little bit know in your hearts. It feels good. It feels good. You see it so much with children. I see it with children, especially when I've taken young people, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old children shooting. And you start working with them, and they're a little bit intimidated by the weapon, and you teach them safety, and you really stay on them because they can make a mistake, and you don't want them to make a dangerous mistake. And you're tough on them a little bit, and they start shooting, and they're shaking, they're flinching, they're missing. You calm them down, you start to do a few exercises with them, and all of a sudden those groups start tightening up, and all of a sudden they're punching holes in the center of a target 25 yards away, and it took them 30 minutes to get from scared and intimidated to empowered and doing that, and they beam. They beam. You take a kid and you show them how to dig a garden. You know, you show them how to put it together. I've done this with, you know, some of, some of the kids in my life, in my family, you know, my son's grown now, so they're not over all the time, but they come back, and what they worked on is now growing, and they're able to pick it. Oh my God, how excited they are over something like a freaking tomato. It doesn't always have to be a new iPhone. 
to make kids excited. And it doesn't have to be something like that to make us excited as adults. Human beings were gifted with the ability to do things that no other living creature that we know of anyway can do. We can think and we can reason at a level that no other life form. And I'm not, you know, I'm not a person that says we're the only thing in existence like us. There's a a billion galaxies with billions of stars. There's probably other intelligent life forms. We ain't found none yet. And on this planet, there is nothing on this planet. No primate, no whale, no dolphin, no elephant, no nothing. They can come close to the ability of humans to solve problems. And what does that mean? When an, a creature of any kind has an ability... It is intrinsic to what they are as a species. And they're not fulfilling their true ability. And they're not really going to feel like they're supposed to feel about what they are unless they're doing it. In other words, an eagle, an eagle doesn't really matter unless it can soar. An eagle doesn't really matter unless it can dive and, and pick up a rabbit. And carry it away in a way that we look at and go, oh my God, is that majestic. I can't imagine that. And I bet you, even though the eagle's brain is far less superior than the human's brain, that when that eagle's doing that, it feels good. It feels like this is what I am. This is what I'm supposed to be. When the lion comes out of the reeds and tackles the gazelle and breaks its neck and feeds its family, there is probably a sense of satisfaction. It's animalistic. It's different than what we would describe. But it knows I am a lion. I am a lion. It knows what it is. We've forgotten what we are. We have no idea what we are anymore as a species. We're so concerned with arguing with somebody on Facebook about a fact or a disagreement that we've forgotten how to change the oil in a car. We've forgotten that maybe when we're teaching our young people to drive, we should teach them the basics of how a freaking internal combustion engine works. So that when something goes wrong with it, if it's something simple that can immediately be fixed, they know how to fix it. Or if something is indicating there's a problem, they can correct it before it becomes a catastrophe. But no, we'll just buy the extended warranty, right? We've lost this. We've lost all of this, folks. And that kind of brings me to another point um, with challenging yourself and thoughts on that. I think that it's absolutely a great idea for us to pursue almost exclusively skill sets and knowledge sets and things like that um, that interest us, that we want to learn, that we're excited about. But I think it's also important that we find ways to challenge ourselves with that. And it, because it actually makes you feel fulfilled, when you take a step that you doubted yourself about in the first place, you just thought, man, I can't learn that, that's too complicated. Um, you know, you, you're interested in something, you start reading up on it, and you start saying, well, I want to do this part of it. And you start reading all the things that are required to be known to get that done. And you start thinking, that just sounds too tough. I, I, and, and we do it all the time. We talk ourselves out of doing things that would be good for us all the time with that. And it makes me think of the military. Uh, when I was in the Army and I was in basic training, 
And we went to our basic rifle, um, you know, BRM, uh, basic rifle, rifle marksmanship module of the training, which lasts about two weeks. And at the end of it, you shoot to qualify. And I, I'm not going to say that I didn't learn uh, to become a better shooter in the military, because I certainly did. It was my first experience with the M16 rifle, so I learned to shoot an M16 rifle. But I was an excellent marksman already. I, I grew up with a rifle in my hand. I grew up, you know, first with a BB gun at the age of five. Uh, my grandfather got me a BB gun. He wasn't worried I'd shoot my eye out. And we went out, and he said, I'm going to show you how to shoot. And he told me how to line the sights up and what to do. And within like five seconds, I was a better shot than he was. And he was a former chief warrant officer out of the Army that served in World War II. Had a natural ability. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, like, this is how this worked out. So they keep saying, you know, you got to qualify or you get recycled or whatever. And I'm like, I don't even care. I'm going to qualify expert. So, and I, you know, I would tell my buddy, he's kind of egocentric. Is it, is it, you know, eight, it's actually 17-year-old kid at the time. You know, I'm going to qualify expert. And, you know, people were like, yeah, whatever. And, you know, on qualification day, here I go, and I shot uh, a 39 of 40 on my qualification and qualified expert. So I get my expert badge when they give you out the all. They make a big deal out of everybody because it's the first thing you really earn in the in Army basic is that, that rifle qualification badge, you know. Uh, you're, you're basically a recruit. You're not really in until basic's over. So that's the first thing you've done that you get real recognition for. And, uh, you know, everybody's like, wow, man, you know, like, I don't, I didn't really care. I wasn't really fulfilled by it. I wasn't really proud of it because I never doubted for a second that it was something that I could do because I already had the skill. I just became better with a little bit of training. But when it came to hitting targets, eh, I'm, I'm, you know, great, I'm glad, I'm proud, but not really. Then I went to airborne school. I had never jumped out of a perfectly good airplane before. And in airborne training, I got challenged to do things that were things I had never done before that were, frankly, some of them scary. I actually was more afraid, and those of you that went to this school know what I'm gonna, know why it's, what I'm saying is true. I was more fearful the first time I came out of the 38 foot or 42 foot, whatever it is, jump tower on the zip line than I was the first time I came out of an airplane. When I came out of that tower, you can really visualize yourself hitting the ground. You've got these riser things behind you. You're convinced that this guy that's been doing it his whole life doesn't know what he's doing, and they're going to grab you by the neck when you go out the door. You're going to get hung up or whatever. And then the first time you do it, you just kind of fall out, and you look like an idiot, right? And then you go, okay, well, it works. You get some confidence. You go back up there. And you do that forceful entry that they teach you how to do, and all of a sudden you feel good about it. You know, I felt a little bit more intimidated when I was hauled up the 250-foot tower uh, and, and dropped so you could learn your first fall than actually coming out of an aircraft. Because the first time you come out of an aircraft, you're up in the air high enough, you don't really visualize impact with the ground. But then you hit that door, and it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. The violent opening of the chute and then the quiet of the descent and the hard impact of the ground. And then you're like, wow, that's amazing. But... You know, can I say that when I when I joined the military, I said I want to go airborne, that I wasn't apprehensive, I wasn't scared at all. Hell no! I, you know, there's fear in any man's heart of doing something that could get you killed. But there was fulfillment in challenging myself to do something I had never done before, and there was a, yeah, whatever, in qualifying expert, even though it was considered a pretty good achievement. I mean, it was it was a pretty big deal at least to those around me, and to the other folks that achieved it, it was a much bigger deal. Some of them that did that, it was a much bigger deal to me that they did it than, than me. I, I was more impressed with them than myself because some of these were folks that they'd never seen a rifle before 
they became a soldier. So that was an achievement for them. That means they really paid attention, they really learned, and maybe there was some natural ability underlying beneath. But they had to develop in two weeks and, 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 and develop and perform at a skill level of something that I had done, even though I was very young, you know, half of my life. So what was more impressive, me doing it or them doing it? And the answer is them. Because they were the one challenging themselves to do something that they've never done before. That's what we need to be doing. That's what I want to see out of this community. Uh, whether it's at 13 Skills or just if you don't want to be part of the social media stuff. And I understand that. You want to do it in your own life. But, but strive. Find something that you go, I'm actually intimidated by this. I'm actually scared by this. I actually, this is the big one. I could fail. If you set 13 goals for yourself in 2013 and there's no chance that any of them will fail unless you just choose not to do it. If there's no chance that you could try to get it all done and fail, at least in one area, you haven't challenged yourself. It's like saying, my goal is to walk across the street. Unless you get hit by a car, you're going to be able to pull that off. And even if you get hit by a car, if you don't get hit dead on, you get clipped, maybe you still make it across. It's, it's not really stretching yourself. But if I say, I'm going to build a road, that's a different story, isn't it? That is where we need to start going as Americans. That's what settled the Western United States. I watched a great show last night. It's a pretty good show on History Channel called How the States Got Their Shapes. And they were talking about how several different states with really independent spirits got settled and what it was like back then. And the, the first one they talked about was Montana. And, of course, Montana's affinity for the Second Amendment came into it. And then they talked about Texas and didn't mention guns at all. And I'm like, I don't know if you guys understand, whatever. But when they were talking about Montana and what it was like, and understanding that Montana has a population, I think, of like 700,000 people today, and it's a massive state, And, and, and the one guy was in a county, I don't remember what county he was in, but he said, the county I live in is, and this is today, right, the size of the state of New Hampshire. And we have six sheriff deputies for the entire county. Six. So you got to look after yourself. That's today. Now go back to 1860, 1870, of what it must have been like for some of the first settlers that went to Montana to strike out and make a claim, and go for gold, and go for silver. And they said that there were bandits that pretty much their job, their whole their whole modus operandi was they mined the miners. They hung out in the saloons, and the bars, and the pubs, and they determined who had who had struck it really, really well, and was about to leave with their money, and they, they targeted them, and they stole from them, held them up, and often murdered them. But people still went, and people still got it done. That's the cloth you're cut from. That's the oak tree that you as an acorn fell from. Get in touch with this. This entire nation was founded by people that basically stood up in one breath and said, no more shall we serve at the boots of another man, be he a king or otherwise. The reason we're talking so much about the Second Amendment lately is it's intrinsic to who and what we are as a people and a nation. If you take away the right to self-determination, self-defense, and the right to arms from America, it is no longer America. It is that important. The Second Amendment only exists. It only even exists 
Because somebody's tried to take away the right that was already intrinsically thought to be part of America at its founding. When the Constitution was ratified, immediately people in power started trying to restrict the rights of those who had just fought for freedom. And one of the rights that was immediately attacked was the right to be armed. The right of the people. There was no Second Amendment. Amendment means added to. So for a while, between the ratification of the Constitution and the ratification of the Bill of Rights, there was no Second Amendment. It didn't exist. Somebody commented on YouTube yesterday saying, that's not what they were fighting for at Lexington and Concord when they were fighting for the Second Amendment. They weren't fighting for the Second Amendment at Lexington and Concord. It didn't exist yet. It had not been penned. The ideal was there. They were fighting for the ideal among many other things. So why? Here's the story of the Bill of Rights that we don't learn in school. We don't teach our children many things anymore. Soft and hard skills. Soft skills like understanding the history of our nation. At the time that the Bill of Rights was being put together, there were two schools of thoughts on it. There were actually very few people that thought, we shouldn't give people these rights. That was the minority. That's who was being opposed. That's why the Bill of Rights was being introduced in the first place. There was strong support for these rights. The people that opposed it opposed it more for a reason that's got a nuance to it that we don't really think about today. Those in opposition to the Bill of Rights at the time said, we're specifically stating that these rights are inherent and intrinsic to the people of this nation. And we're clarifying with the Ninth and Tenth Amendment that which has already been said. All of the other rights are specific to the people and already understood that you know you don't have to quarter troops. We already know this. There's nothing that says you have to, therefore you don't have to. But people were already talking about, well, what if it comes down to it? There's, no, there's nothing impeding your free speech. But people were already saying maybe he shouldn't be able to say that. And what the, the, the opposition said is right now you can do anything and the government can't do anything unless the Constitution says, and since the Constitution doesn't empower the government to take away guns and it doesn't empower the government to put troops in your, your, your quarters and it doesn't empower the government to do any of these things, it's inherently understood that they cannot be done. And the other side said, so what? Why don't we restate it? And the opposition said, because if we leave anything out, then in the future, government will say, you don't have a right to this because it's not in there. That's a big part of the Ninth and Tenth Amendments too. Just because we didn't say it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and the government can only do what we say it can do. That's And anything that we didn't say that it can do rests with the people of the states. That's basically the two amendments summed up together, the Ninth and the Tenth. Okay? So that's why that got added. That was the comp that was the compromise. Back in that time, the compromise to get something done as big as a constitution, ten amendments to the constitution was further restriction of government. Today the compromises are further restrictions of the people. That's how far we've fallen. And that's part of our skill set too, because we've lost the ability to freaking read and think and interpret for ourselves, and we believe whatever the TV says. Fortunately, the compromise was reached, and cooler heads prevailed, because there wouldn't be an American today in possession of a gun without the Second Amendment. 
That right would have been stripped from us long ago as it was done in Europe and many other nations around the world. We would not have had that right. It would be gone without the Bill of Rights and the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights. And some of the skills that we need to be teaching our young people is critical thinking, expanding their mental capabilities to be able to think for themselves and do research. And we don't need to grandize the United States in our history as though we never did anything wrong because one of the biggest things that the, the socialist progressives use to win over your children is to tell them the truth about what this nation did wrong and our mistakes. And if they've never heard that from you, they begin to question everything they have. We as a nation need to be honest. We did some really bad stuff in the past, and we've done some really amazing, great stuff. And guess what? The same can be said about any nation on God's green earth. And we've done some things that are worse than any nation's ever done, and that's directly because we've also done many things that are greater than any nation's ever done, because we've had greater ability, because we've had greater liberty, and at time, that liberty has been abused. Liberty comes with responsibility. Rights come with concurrent responsibilities. It's another skill we can start teaching our youth. You have a right. Here's the responsibilities that come along with that right. And those of you out there that go, you're not going to tell me I have a responsibility, you do. Whether you like it or not. And if you abdicate your responsibilities long enough, you'll find yourself compromising your own rights. I had people tell me in response to the videos I did yesterday on the Second Amendment that, you know what, there should be, it says not be infringed, so if a person's a felon, they should still be able to buy a gun, especially if they've done their time. If they've done their time, done their parole, and their clean, clear bill of health, so to speak, from the, I'm actually not opposed to that person owning a gun, but there's nothing constitutional about them not being able to be, own a gun. Seriously. When you abdicate your rights through the violation of the rights of another people, you lose your rights. If that were not the case, there would be no such thing as jail or prison. If I break into your house, steal your stuff, smash your windows, and harm you physically, and then leave, taking your wealth with me, and leaving you laying on the floor in a puddle of blood, then eventually, hopefully, the authorities will catch up with me. They will put me in these little silver bracelets, They will take me to a place called jail. I will go in front of a judge. I will stand accused of my crimes. And if convicted, I will go to jail or prison for a specific period of time. And I may have other things I have to do. Those directly take away my inalienable right to liberty. But they, that right wasn't stripped for me. I abdicated it by ignoring my responsibilities. And my responsibility with having liberty is to not impinge upon the other person's liberty. That's a skill that we could teach as well. Every right, every right has responsibilities that go along with it. When we say that a person is endowed by their creator with rights, it doesn't matter if you're a, a, an atheist and believe that you were created through creation, uh, through evolution or you are a traditional religious person that believes you were created like sculpted or anything in between. It doesn't matter. It means by your very existence as a sentient being, you have those rights. And you have those rights until you conduct yourself in a way which shows that you no longer are worthy of them. Some of you guys that spin toward the anarchist side, that's kind of hard to hear, but 
Again, I don't think any of you would be okay if I came over to your house and stole all your stuff and shot you in the leg and left you laying there bleeding on the ground and there was no recourse. Some of you would, and you frankly need your heads examined. But most of us are common sense, reasonable individuals. And we understand the concept that the right to swing our fist ends only where the other man's nose begins. But we have to ask ourselves, why do we live in a society where people don't value these principles anymore? And I know I seem like I went off on a history lesson, a constitutional law lesson, and a Second Amendment lesson here, but it really all comes back to the ability to do things. We have gotten into a position with a mentality in this nation that the path of least resistance is always the best path to take in the accumulation of things. That if we can get something today instead of saving for it tomorrow, that's what we should do. And it, it, it's not so simple as just your MasterCard bill. It, when you start thinking that way, and it's a bigger thing than when you, right? When the nation collectively doesn't just think, but acts that way. It's a natural progression that everybody starts looking for the shortest distance to everything or every position or every item or every dollar or every cent, everything they could possibly want, the shortest position. And it starts to lead to more crime. Because that shortest position is taking it from somebody that already has it. Then it begins to progress into, well, some people aren't comfortable with obvious criminal activity, so they fall down to second-tier criminal activity, what I call legalized criminal activity, theft at the point of the government's gun, the seizure of property in the form of taxation to redistribute wealth against the will of the individual. That's where we're at today. And we're going run amok with it. We're literally cutting our own financial throats into the future with it Because we can't do jack diddly crap for ourselves anymore. What do we make as a nation anymore? What do we create? What do we innovate? What do we invent? And the answer is a lot. But nowhere near the way we did it one time. How many of our children dream of one day growing up and building something for the first time that's never been created before? Versus get a job, because that's what we keep telling them to do. That's what we keep telling them to do. The see, the thing about the skill set development is you find out who you really are. That's the biggest reason that I can tell you that you should focus on developing your skills. And as parents, we need to help our children experience these skills and develop these skills for themselves in many different diverse disciplines. To be more like a renaissance man than anybody that's existed for a long time. To learn everything from, you know, how how to, to, to fight with a sword, even though it's it's an ancient skill that probably won't matter directly anymore. If we're ever in a point where we're fighting with swords like they are on Revolution, we got we have gone way down the rabbit hole beyond where I think we're headed. But does, does that mean there's no value in learning to fence or learning to do something like ken, kendo? No, it it doesn't. Or even just learning katas and forms as martial arts with the sword. Or with any other weapon. It doesn't always have to be for the purpose of fighting. There's a lot in there that a person learns about themselves as they evolve through this. 
or someone that teaches themselves primitive skills and goes out and with cold hurting fingers finally gets a fire started, you learn something about yourselves. And the more things you do from one end of the spectrum to the other like that, the more you learn about who and what you are and what you really want. And the mind begins to engage in the most powerful thing that a human can possibly do, problem solving. When we start to engage the mind in multiple activities and multiple disciplines, the mind naturally starts to say, well, what's next? What's next? What's next? And the brain's computer switches on. And all of a sudden you go, you know what? Even though those two things are completely different, they're completely related. And now I see a solution that's over here that looks like it has nothing to do with the automobile, but here's how I can make a cleaner burning car. Or whatever it is. This is what led to every major innovation in mankind. Very few innovations were really by accident. There's a couple, right? There's a couple. But most of them were things, the people that really changed the world, Bell, Marconi, Ford, all right, did many other things other than the few things that they're known for, Edison. Edison's actually known for many things, right? But that's what did it. The more you do, the more you're capable of. That's why we need to restore our skills. And America, we're headed for a dark place. I'm not saying that there's no hope in our future. There's no good in our future. There's no beauty. There's plenty of that. But there's a lot of darkness, too. Millions of Americans are not going to get the retirement they've been promised. And I'm not just talking about the private sector and the stock market taking a dump. I'm telling you, millions of Americans that are expecting guaranteed retirements from the federal or state governments are not going to get what they were promised. Some will get nothing. Some will get less. A few will get everything. But when that happens, it's going to have a massive impact. Our nation's not growing in population the way it used to, and there's some good from that. But based on the economic system of choice that we're running today, it's a disaster. So the economic system, if for no other reason, the population of the nation itself is going to have to shift. Many people who have never done a day's work in their life are going to find themselves without and be very angry and upset about it. And they're going to have to go out and figure out how to do something productive. There's going to be a lot of stuff out there that's going to be tough to deal with as this economy and this society shifts into its next evolution, its next turning. It's going to happen. There's, there's no way to stop it. It's a logical progression. Every time something climaxes, it has to go into decline before a new regrowth cycle can begin. We see this in forest systems and, and aquatic systems. We see this everywhere. There's a pioneering stage. There's a growth stage. There's a climax. And there's a decline. And then there's a pioneer and a growth, and a climax, and a decline. And you can see it in every walk of life, everything that exists in the planet, even before man walked the planet. If you look at the ecology of the planet, the cycles of the planet, you can see that it played out. We are not any different. We are part of that system. And if you look at what we did for a 100 years in this nation, that was a climax stage of the ecosystem. And that means declination is next. But it's such an opportunity because you know what comes next? A pioneering stage. A point at which we start to explore new potential, 
new reality, new opportunity, new skills, new products, new thoughts, new arts, new music, new everything. As long as we use this time, this lag right now, to shore up our ability to be ready for that, to do things. And for some of us that are older, we're only going to have so much opportunity. It's why we need to teach these skills to the next generation and the generation after that. They're going to be the ones that are into the prime part of the pioneering stage and the growth stage of the next cycle. It's our duty It's our responsibility. I know some of you don't like me to use words like duty and responsibility along with rights. And all I can say to that is tough shit. Seriously. There is a duty and there is a responsibility. And if you look at your children and you don't see that, check your heart. Something's wrong. And if you're single, it might be easier to think that way. But really stop and pause and look at your fellow man and look at the youth around you. And think about what the future will be like for them. And you might start to get in touch with something that most parents are deeply in touch with. You might start to care a little bit more about our future. You could be an anarchist and still give a damn about tomorrow for that group of my audience that's out there. And we have what we have to work with today. That's another thing that we need to be realistic about as a society. We, we, this is the system we have today. Failing or not, it is the system. We have to work with it in certain ways. Some of us work deeply inside it. Some of us work on the edges. Some of us work completely outside of it. But we all have to know that we're working not just so we can get by, but so that we can push something forward of ourselves so that what we do matters. So that one day when they lay you to rest and they put you in a grave or put you in an urn and they put your name on it and they put the year you were born... And they put the year that you died, and in between there, there's a dash, that that dash means something, that it stands for something, that something of you is still here. Passing on knowledge and skills is one great way to make that dash mean something. And I'll ask you, if the worst happened to you today, if you walked out onto the street to check the mail and a runaway driver flattened you flat to the ground, once the people that knew you personally, died too, with your dash matter? If the answer is no, you've got some work to do. And one way you can do that is improving your skills and knowledge and making sure you're teaching them to somebody else. Because here's the thing about teaching. Teaching doesn't create students. Real teaching doesn't create students. It creates teachers. It creates teachers. Now, that doesn't mean all students become teachers. But if what you're teaching isn't being evolved and even gone and improved upon by some of your students and some of your students aren't taking that and teaching it to others and creating another generation of teachers, what you're doing is talking. What you're doing is holding a place. What you're doing is getting kids to pass fifth grade. But if what you're doing impacts them so that they're telling stories about what they learned from you after you're gone and passing that on to their own students, whether it be formal students or informal students and informal teaching, then you've mattered. And I'm fortunate that I have people in my life like that, some teachers from school and many teachers in life. Much of what I pass on to you is not directly from me. It's from these other people. 
that have taught me how to do things, how to think, how to solve problems, made me aware of things. And you guys do that for me, just like you did yesterday. I really believed for the last 10 years of my life, based on every piece of information I'd been given, that if you really plan to go to a four-year college and do anything like advanced, like engineering or chemistry or something like that, you were ill-suited to go to community college. I really believed that until yesterday. I got way too many people that did it telling me that ain't the case. It's changed me now. I'll teach differently. You've mattered. You've enabled me to be a better teacher by being a great teacher yourself. Thank you. This is what we all need to strive for. And a little shit like that, folks. Because I'll say something that you'll say something that somebody else will say, and eventually five, six, seven layers down, some child or some person with a dream will hear it and go, you know what that means? That means I can do it. And then they'll do it, and they impact the world. And you may never know. But it's all about you developing yourself as a person and skills are just one really great way to do that. So get on over to 13 Skills. Sign up if you haven't done so already. We added a new feature today, uh, which was just released this morning, where you can follow people. So if you see somebody that's doing similar stuff, you can follow them. And right, right now, all that does is you'll see at the bottom of your page, following and followed by. And you can find each other. We're going to make it better. We're going to make it more interactive. There's only three of us, and only one of the three is a programmer. That's David, and he's doing a kick-ass job. And uh, we'll keep doing that. But that's that's why we're doing this folks it's not just so people can go look what I can do or look what I did it's so people can develop year after year after year and continue to become more and more skilled in whatever really interests them and does it for them and that way become more and more of what they truly are and who they truly are and better know themselves so that they can also teach and they can teach in a way that doesn't just create students but also creates teachers. And with that, this has been another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Sure.